I want to say a big thank you to Kimberly, to all of our children's ministry workers for all that you guys do, uh, the recent Dinner with the Princess and things like that. And uh, I want to say a thank you to everybody who stepped up recently to help out with our children's ministries. A while back, I had asked us to pray, and, and since the time we've started praying, what's happened is we now have a fully staffed uh, Adventure Zone. We have, I think, four teachers there, and we have eight workers, which is fantastic. Uh, in Surge, we have four teachers, and we have four workers, which is great. Uh, but I am going to ask you to continue to pray. We still need four workers for the nursery. And what we want to do is we don't want to staff it with people who serve resentfully, uh, who hate children, okay? That's not what we want. Um, but what we want, we don't want people who are serving out of guilt. But what we do want is we want people who are serving out of love, all right? And so what we want is we're, we want to pray for people who love Jesus, who love children, uh, and who want to serve. And so, uh, but I, you know, the Bible says uh, you, you have not because you ask not. And uh, the scripture also tells us, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, which means there's a lot of work. Uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And then he says, therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So I'd like to lead us in a little prayer about that, and then we'll jump into our, our, our uh, message today. God, I want to thank you. Uh, God, I, I want to praise you and worship you because you come to us not on our terms but on your terms. Because you are holy and you are a righteous judge, but you are also gracious, full of mercy, and you come to us gently and humbly. And, and Lord, today you've told us that we are uh, that the, the harvest is plentiful. There's a lot of work, but the workers are few. And God, there's nothing you can't do. And so what we're praying for is we're praying for people who really love Jesus who really love children, uh, and who love to serve, who will step up and serve uh, in our nursery. So we just want to present that to you, and we want to trust that you are listening and that you're going to do that. So we commit that to you. God, I want to commit to you the, the morning's message. And, and Lord, I pray uh, that we would come with ready hearts, ready to hear what you have to say to us, ready to obey what you tell us to do. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to ask you a question, and uh, we like to do this from time to time, and I'm going to ask you in little groups around you of 2 to 20, uh, whatever size you're comfortable with, but I'm going to ask you to discuss a couple of questions. The first question I want you to discuss with the person next to you is I want you to discuss what is worship, okay? I want you to give each other kind of your own definition of what worship is, and the second question is this, is what kind of worship does God delight in? So take a moment, divide up in groups, talk about that for a sec. All right, so let's, uh, let's take a minute, let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, first, let me ask you the question, what is worship? Can someone give me a definition for worship here? Ellie? Okay, so connecting to the Lord, okay? Anybody else? What is worship? Jessica, honoring God. And then Noreen said praise. Anybody else, what is worship? Acknowledging, okay? Acknowledging what? Okay. Oops. Oh, well. Remember, I grew up in Arkansas. I'm a creative speller. Uh, what else? Focus. Okay. 
Thanksgiving. Humility and devotion. Reflection. I'm going to add one more thing. This is mine. Uh, Because I haven't heard it yet, and I think it's important. It's surrendering. Everything. Everything. All that you are, all that you have. It is total, complete surrender. One of the reasons why 21st century North Americans struggle with worship so much is we don't want to surrender. We have to have all kinds of things to help us worship. But the truth is, worship is only possible with a heart that is totally and completely surrendered to the one who made everything, who owns it all, and loves you more than you can ever imagine. But worship isn't possible without surrender. So let's talk about what kind of worship does God delight in. Tell me what you've got here. Sincere. Okay. All right. Who wants a marker? All right. Sorry. Uh, Sincere. All right. What else? Humble. You know, it's impossible to be proud. Impossible to be proud and worship God. By the way, did you know that the Greeks despised humility? You know, the, the Bible has never been um, seeker sensitive. The Bible is never, the Bible is always countercultural. It is. Uh, humble. What else? What kind of worship does God delight in? I'm sorry? Obedience? All right. Joyous. All right. Heartfelt. This is great. And spirit and truth. I was reading that yesterday. What else? Respect. Okay. Somebody else. Love. All right. Fantastic. Dave, can you help me out? Can I hand this to you and you put it over here? I want everybody to be able to see the screen here in a moment. Okay? Thank you, sir. All right. Um, I want you to see something real quick. Can I give you this too, bro? Sit down. Thank you, sir. All right. All right. Uh, recently, I've had a couple of friends of mine. I've been talking with some friends of mine. I've been talking pastor buddies, okay? I've been talking with some of my pastor buddies, and I've been telling them some of the things that I'm deeply concerned about. And I've talked to you about some of these things as well. And I've been talking with you a little bit about some of the things that I'm concerned about when I think of the church in North America today. 
And one of the things that I'm concerned about is I'm concerned about what I would call biblical illiteracy. That people may know little Bible verses here and there, uh, here and there in the Scriptures, but they don't really understand the storyline of the Bible, and they don't see how the books of the Bible fit together and where the stories fit together. They just Sometimes people look at the Bible, and they just see it as a loosely collected group of stories, and, and they don't see it as a cohesive whole. So I'm very, very concerned about what I would call biblical illiteracy. Another thing I'm concerned about in the church in North America today, I'm just going to say prayerlessness, okay? And, and I'll be honest with you. I mean, I struggle with this. I struggle. I feel like in some respects that I have failed as a pastor uh, to not create more of a culture of prayer in our church. And we're doing things, and we're taking steps, and we're doing things like 40 days in the Word and prayer to begin the year. We're, we do things like 40 days of prayer as we're leading up to our week of hope but I honestly, and I have said this many times to friends of mine, I wish I could have the last 25 years over again. I wish I could do this a little bit differently. I wish that I could be more textual in my preaching. I wish that I could be a little bit more emphatic in, in prayer. Okay? And that's when I'm with my friends, people who are safe, and I'm able to kind of be my real self with them and tell them the truth. Um, the other thing that concerns me, deeply concerns me, about the church in North America today, deeply, deeply concerns me. I see this as the path uh, of what's happened in Europe, uh, the path away from true devotion to Jesus uh, to uh, empty churches. I was reading, I was reading a couple weeks ago about the the Anglican churches in, in the Anglican Church in England, and more and more empty buildings. And now the Anglican Church in England, the Church of England, actually has a church closure team. And places where people used to worship Jesus now are used for all kinds of things. 99-cent stores, pubs, mosques, and a lot of other things. And I'm very concerned that we're headed that same direction in North America. And one of the things that concerns me is what I'm just going to call a consumer-driven approach to church. A consumer-driven approach to church where what we do is we give people the Scriptures and we give people Jesus, but we give, pe- we give people Jesus on their terms. And we give people Scripture on their terms. Here, just read this and it will make your life all better. You'll get that promotion at work. Your boss and everybody will like you. Your wife will be easier to get along with, or in my case, your husband will get, be more easily to get along with my, with my wife. I'm, I'm the harder one to get along with. But we tell people what they want to hear. And we give people Jesus on their terms. And it concerns me. It really concerns me. And as I've been talking with my buddies, as I've been talking with my buddies, I, 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 at least two different people have said, have you read Letters to the Church by Francis Chan? They asked me this question. And then, within a couple of weeks, I get two different copies of Letters to the Church anonymously. <laughs> so I thought, well, maybe I should read it. Maybe I should read it. And I sat down and started reading it on Friday. And this is what I read. There are times... When God hates our worship, just 
sit with that for a moment. Now, when Chan says this, he's not being accusatory. He's not saying sometimes God hates their worship. He's saying sometimes God hates our worship. He's very inclusive here. He's not berating. He's not talking about those people. He's talking about us and our condition. Sometimes God hates our worship. Their churches he wants to shut down. Churches he wants to shut down. So often we assume that as long as we show up to worship, God is pleased. I showed up. I did what I'm supposed to do. I'll see you next week, God. Uh, the Bible tells a different story. And he has several scriptures here. And I went through and read every one of them. The very first words in Amos 5 is, I hate your worship. Not exactly like that, but basically the same thing. He says that since the beginning of time, there has been worship that God loves. Just think about the story of Cain and Abel. Since the beginning of time, there has been worship that God loves, Abel, man of faith, and worship he rejects, Cain, a man who came to God on his own terms. As I examine the state of the the Christian church today, I can't help but think, that God is displeased with many of the churches in America. Part of the conversation I've been having with these friends of mine is I really wish I could relive the last 25 years. When I say that, I don't mean it. I mean that there's an element of repentance. That I believe that there are things that I need to do differently. And there are things that I need to do differently in the way I lead our church. And there are things I've been doing differently. I hope you've seen it. I've tried to be a lot more textual in my preaching. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying all topical preaching is bad. But I've tried to work through uh, where we're going through and we're looking at books of the Bible, taking chapters, and we're looking and we're looking at the bigger storyline of the Scriptures. Um, but there are things I want to do differently. Today, what I want us to do is I want us to look at a text of Scripture that might speak to the question uh, about worship and the worship that God delights in. And uh, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through verses 1 through 17. I want to read this for you, and I want to comment from time to time in different parts of it. But uh, I, I, I want us to look at this. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 17, and then I want to talk to us about how, how God comes to us and the kind of worship that pleases Him. Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 1, this is what I want you to see. I want you to see something with me. I want you to see you're up on a hill. Uh, in, in Israel, they call it a mountain. Here we would call it a hill. Uh, it, it's a hill. It's about the size of, of twin sisters. Some people would call that a mountain. Uh, I would call it a hill, especially if you go to the Sierras or if you've ever been to the Rocky Mountains. Uh, but, but they're coming up over the crest of this hill, and they see another hill. It's called Mount Zion. It's the hill on which uh, the city of Jerusalem was built. Uh, Jerusalem was the, the center uh, of the nation of Israel. It was the, the religious center. It was there that the temple was built. It's there that they performed sacrifice. It's there that they worshiped. It's there that kings have reigned over the nation of Israel for a thousand years. It is the center of Jerusalem. 
And so they're coming in, and they come over this hill, and, and what, what they do is that as they approach Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. Now, real quickly here. No, I'll just read it. Go to the, the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone asks anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Now, I used to read that as a kid. I was like, wow, sounds like they're ripping off somebody's donkey and, and colt. I mean, I kind of, I, I kind of read that. And, and there are different people who have different perspectives perspectives on this some people believe it was you know there was some kind of prearranged uh uh journey for the disciples and that there had been an agreement that you know the password the lord needs them uh, i think maybe more likely bethpage was a very very small village and bethpage and bethany were right next to each other very small villages uh, this is the place where uh if you know the name lazarus you ever hear of lazarus mary and martha his sisters Lazarus had died, and Jesus had raised him from the dead. And all the people around that region came, and they were amazed that Jesus had healed them. That was Bethany and Bethpage. These people were very familiar with Jesus, very familiar with his disciples. My guess is that that Jesus sends them, his disciples there. They recognize his disciples, and when he says that the, the Lord needs them, of course, they send them. But how this all works out, I don't know exactly. All we need to know is he sends them, they get the, the donkey, they get the cult, they, they come back to Jesus, and verse 4 says this, this took place uh, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And when, 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 Jesus, or when, the, when Matthew says that to us, when he says this fulfills what was, was, was spoken through the prophet, he, he makes a reference to the prophet Zechariah. And he makes a reference to something that happened 500 years before. And what Zechariah wrote is he says, Say to daughter Zion. Daughter Zion is just another reference to Jerusalem. He says, Say to Jerusalem, to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle, riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And what, what Matthew is saying here, and what Zechariah was saying, is that when Messiah comes, he's going to come in, riding on a donkey. And he's going to come in gentle. But he is a king. He is a king. It it, it says, see your king comes to you gentle, riding on a donkey and on a coat, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went, did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the coat. They placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him and those that followed him, and they shouted, Hosanna, save now. Hosanna, save now to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Circle that word stirred. We're going to come back to that. The whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. When Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the whole city is stirred. 
that word stirred, it comes from the, the Greek word, word group seismos. I think I used this word recently with you. Seismos, you know, where we get our word seismic. And literally what it means is that they were shaken as if by an earthquake. You see, when Jesus comes in, the whole city is shaken as if by an earthquake. They are shaken, not stirred, like a James Bond martini. When Jesus comes, it's not business as usual. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He's coming into the holiest city of of the nation of Israel. And he's coming in at the beginning, a moment ago, uh, Carolyn was talking to us a little bit about Passover in, in, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And what they had is they had the seven-day feast followed by Passover. And, and what happens in this text is, is that this is the beginning of what a lot of people call Holy Week. Beginning with Palm Sunday, following through to the crucifixion and then the Easter. And so what you have when you read through the book of Matthew, when you read through the book of Matthew, the first uh, chapters, uh, chapter 3 through chapter 20 covers a time span of about three years. Chapters 21 through 28, or a fourth of the book, focuses on eight days. Eight days. That Matthew really wants us to get what's happening here. In almost every other gospel, they, they, do the, they follow that same kind of, of focus, where the focus is on that, the Holy Week. And also what happens at this point, remember, and some of you have asked me this question, why does Jesus heal people? then tell them not to tell anybody? You ever wonder that? Why does Jesus heal people and then tell them not to tell anybody? In chapter 21, everything changes in a huge way. Because what Jesus is going to do now is very much in the face of everybody in Jerusalem. What Jesus does now is something that is um, it's a little bit scary. It's a, you know, in fact, I'll, I'll be well honest with you. As I was preparing this message today, I was feeling scared. I felt really scared as I began to work on this message. And, and what happens is, is it says, you know, the whole city is stirred. They are shaken. Shaken, not stirred. And, and uh, Jesus enters uh, to the temple courts. He, he, if, if you go to Jerusalem, anybody been to Jerusalem? Has anybody? Okay, fantastic. A couple of you. And you'll know that, that, that Jerusalem is, is built on the city, and it's a very, very compact city. The buildings are relatively, the housing, the dwellings are relatively small by modern standards. You don't have spaces between houses for yards like what we have. The streets, the streets, they weren't built for cars. I mean, if you can get a car down some of those streets, you can only get one car, barely. I mean, they're very narrow. And what's happened is right now Jerusalem is packed. It's like sardines. I mean, you have three to five times the normal population because they're there for the Feast of Unleavened Bread and they are there for Passover. And so what happens is, is, is the place is, is busy and, and, and what Jesus does is he goes straight to the temple courts, the busiest part of Jerusalem. And, and as he goes into the temple courts, the Bible says he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. He says this, it is written. It is written, he said to them, my house, my house will be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a den of robbers. Now let me tell you what scares me when I read this text. The 
This is what scares me. If Jesus came in here today the same way he came into there, what tables would he be overturning? I'm being serious. I mean, what, 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 what things would he be ripping off the walls? Uh, when, when, you know, when I think about the churches in North America today, would he walk into the churches and say, this is exactly the way I imagine the church? Is that what would be happening? Or would we be seeing something really, really different? Have we taken the message of Jesus and have we tamed Jesus to fit in with our American ideals and the American dream? Do you understand what I'm saying here? Now, folks, this is very, very important. This is hugely important. For some of you, this may be the most important message you ever hear. Because when Jesus comes to us, he does not come to us on our terms. And when Jesus comes to us, he doesn't come to us ready to, to talk about terms, a peace. He comes to offer peace, but it's unconditional. Unconditional surrender. He does not come to us on our terms. He comes to us with his terms. But he comes to us. He comes to us. And so Jesus says, my house, my house will be called a house of prayer. Now, folks, every once in a while, I'll have someone tell me, oh, Jesus never really claimed to be God. When you walk into the temple in first century Jerusalem, and you say of the temple, my house, let me put it this way. Someone walks into my house and says, my house? Let's say someone comes into my house, and I've never met him before. And he says, my house. I'm going to say, uh-uh. My house. <laughs> uh, no. Jesus says, my house will be called a house of prayer. But you have made it. Uh, you are making it a den of robbers. And then what happens is the blind and the lame, they come to Jesus at the temple, and guess what? He heals them. Yeah, Jesus is coming. He's coming, and, and he's coming as king, and he's coming in a way that he cannot be ignored, but there's still that compassion. The blind, the lame, they came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things, they don't like the wonderful things Jesus did. When they saw the wonderful things that Jesus did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the Son of David. By the way, Son of David means Messiah. Messiah. Christ. The Anointed One. Um, Hosanna to the Son of David. It says, when the, when the chief priests, the teachers of the law, saw the wonderful things that Jesus did, heard the children shouting, Hosanna, Son of David, it says that they were indignant. They were outraged. They were, oh, they were they were madder than mad. I mean, the, the F word is in their hearts. Violence is in their hearts. There's nothing but hatred here. They hate Jesus. They hate the one who comes to them. They hate the one who comes to them on his terms, not their terms. They were indignant. And they say to Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? And, and the implied in that question is, Tell them to shut up. Tell them you're not the son of David. They're offended by this. 
How can a man receive this praise from people that he's the son of David? How can someone receive that kind of praise? Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus says basically this. Yeah, isn't it great? Isn't it great? He says, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I hear them. Have you never read from the lips of children in inference, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And then Jesus left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. Uh, this text is really interesting to me, really interesting. And in working on this message, I'll just be more honest with you. A lot of times working on messages is really, really hard for me. It, it doesn't come easy. I mean, I have to work really, really hard at preparing to preach and teach. And, and I'll, 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 let me tell you, three things I have to do when I'm preparing to preach. Number one, I need time in the study. I've got to be in study. But number two, I've got to have time in the closet, and by that I mean time in prayer. Praying, praying that, that this word, that God will write his word on my heart. Praying, praying, not just preparing a message for you to hear, but praying God's message into your lives. But the other thing I need is I need time in the marketplace. That may sound strange, but I need time in the marketplace. I've got to be in the study, and I've got to be in the closet. I've got to be in the study, studying in the closet, praying, but I've got to be in the marketplace where people live. By the way, I borrowed all of this from a guy named Timothy Keller. He says, you want to learn how to be a great preacher? Spend time with people. You can't be a very good preacher unless you're spending time with people. And so I spend time with people. And this last week, it was really interesting. I ran into a buddy of mine. I was working on this message and thinking about all this stuff. And, and you need to understand, my buddy doesn't really like church. Okay? He doesn't really like church at all. And, and just to make this easy, we'll call his name Larry. Okay? Larry. Okay? Not his real name. His real name is Bob, but we'll call him Larry, okay? Yeah, yeah. So Larry comes to me, and, and he had had a question a while back, and I said, hey, you, I want to I know your question. I want to know what's in that, what's behind it. And it's really interesting to me is that Larry doesn't like church, but he has a lot of friends who are pastors. It's really kind of strange. It is. It's like, it's like I really think God's trying to get Larry's attention. I, I do. I do. We end up talking for about two hours, and he told me, why he's so turned off to the church. And it was really interesting. As I was listening to him, I thought, gee, that sounds a lot like Jesus. The some of the things that turns Larry off are the same things that we talked about, that if you flipped what you talked about on worship, like where you said sincere, he says insincerity or hypocrisy. And he went through this list of things, and as he sat there and he told me about his disappointment, I said, you know, Larry, let me tell you something. Let's just be real honest about this. I will be the first to disappoint you. I will be. I will be. You know, he was talking to me about pastors who are preaching one thing on Sunday morning, and then next week they're out driving in their cars, and someone cuts them off in, in traffic, and they flip them the bird. I can proudly say it's been a long time since I flipped anybody the bird in traffic, but I'm also afraid that could happen this next week. And, folks, if you are looking to me, at some point I'm going to disappoint you. And every other person will disappoint you. Only Jesus won't disappoint you. But I think that, that what we've got to do is we've got to be real. We don't need to excuse sin in our lives. We need to humble ourselves and repent and seek forgiveness when we need to do that. But we don't need to hide it, and we don't need to be, pretend that we're better than we are. Uh, where am I at? I have no clue. But as I was listening to my buddy, I just thought, I thought, the very things that turned him off to what we sometimes call worship, 
and the church are the very things that I think when you read through the scriptures, you find that God's not very happy about those things either. Four thoughts I want to share with you this morning. Number one, number one, Jesus comes. He doesn't come to us on our terms, but Jesus comes. Jesus comes gently as the messianic king. He comes gently as the messianic king. That when we look through Matthew 21, uh, what Matthew does is he says, he says, Behold, your king comes to you gently riding on a donkey. And that Jesus does come to us, and he does come gently, but he doesn't come only gently. Okay? Second thought is this, that Jesus comes, he comes gently as the messianic king, but Jesus also comes with power and authority cleansing the temple. In fact, let me give you another word. Jesus comes forcefully. Now, some of you are saying, no, that's a contradiction. How can he come humbly? How can he come gently? And how can he come forcefully? And what I'm telling you is he does. He comes humbly, he comes gently, and he comes with authority, and he comes with power, and he comes turning over tables, and he comes driving people out of the temple who have no place for surrendering their hearts to Jesus. He does come forcefully. And, and some people will say, well, well you know, I, I don't see how he can be gentle and how he can be forceful. People, the forcefulness of Jesus in the temple is a restrained force. If Jesus came in all of his authority, if Jesus came in all of his power, do you realize there would not have been a living person left? Do you realize that if Jesus walked into here in all of his glory, we would melt? Literally. I mean, when, when we see Jesus coming, it, it's interesting. In, in, in Revelation chapter 19, I want to read this for you. In Revelation chapter 19, Jesus, we see another picture, picture of Jesus coming. This time, though, he's not coming on a, a donkey. Okay? And what the Bible says, it says this. I saw heaven standing open. This is from the Apostle John. He sees this vision uh, into the future. He says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, no donkey. Okay? It's a white horse. It's what someone rides when they come in to conquer. When Jesus came the first time, he came as a suffering servant. But when he comes again, he's coming as a conquering king. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he, he wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire. Uh, folks, if we saw him like this, we would be terrified. His eyes are like blazing fire, and his head on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a white robe, in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Folks, when Jesus comes to us, he doesn't come on our terms, but he does come. He comes to us humbly. 
He comes to us with power and authority. Third, He comes calling for repentance. He comes calling for repentance. That early in the service, you know, I asked the, the question about, is it true that, that there are times when God really hates our worship? Are there really churches God wants to shut down? And the answer is yes. Yeah. God um, loved the worship of righteous Abel, but he rejected the worship of Cain. The question is, what kind of worship are you bringing to God? Are you bringing worship on your terms, demanding that God cater to you and how you live and the way you think, your political convictions and everything else? Are you coming to Jesus and demanding he come to you on your terms? Or are you coming to him on his terms? That's a very, very important question. In the church today, we need to repent of prayerlessness. I do. I think that. I do. And it, it begins with me. In the church today, we need to repent of prayerlessness. We need to pray, and we need to make room for others to pray with us. One of the things, I recently met with our elders, and I asked them to read a book with me, a book by E.M. Bounds. It was not an easy book for them to read. They let me know. Okay? A, a, a book by E.M. Bounds. A book, it, it, it's called Power Through Prayer, and I asked them to read that. And we came together and we discussed it. And we talked about what we are going to do. And what our elders are going to do, they're going to do this. And what our staff are going to do and what our spouses are going to do is we are going to come together. And we're going to come together monthly. And we're going to begin praying. And we're going to pray with repentant hearts. And we're going to pray with broken hearts. And we're not going to pray for selfish ends. Uh, to, to our desires and our wishes. But we are going to pray that God writes His Word on our hearts. And we are going to pray for revival in our hearts. Because we believe it has to start with us. And as we are praying, what we're going to do is we're going to invite you to pray with us. We're going to start doing that. And we're going to ramp up to this. But we really think we need to spend some time together collectively first. Praying together before we can really ask you to join us in prayer. Otherwise, we're not really leading you in prayer. We're driving you like cattle in prayer. And we're not going to do that. We're not going to drive you like cattle. We're going to lead you like shepherds. And we're going to lead you in prayer. And as we begin to ramp up the week of hope and trying to share the message of Jesus and the hope of Jesus with this community, we're going to do it uh, with prayer. Uh, but we're going to do that. But there needs to be, when Jesus comes, calling for rep- uh, comes, he, he comes calling for repentance. Um, and, and the other thing I'm going to say about this is, is one of the things that we see in the... T- no, I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to get into that because that, that, that's a rabbit trail. Let me just finish. Number four, when Jesus comes... Yeah, yeah, Jesus comes gently as the messianic king. He comes ready to suffer for us. But he also comes with power and authority cleansing his temple. He comes calling for repentance. And finally, Jesus comes without apology. He comes without apology. He will not apologize for what he asks of you and what he asks of me. He's not going to apologize. He will not cater. He will not do what you want him to do, what you expect him to do. He will not care if you're offended. He will not care if I'm offended. He will not apologize. Not because he's stubborn and not because he's arrogant but because he's holy. And he is right, and he is just, and he is good. And he comes without apology. And when the religious leaders are all upset about his wonderful deeds, and when the religious leaders are all upset 
Because the, the children are saying, Hosanna to the son of David. And they come to him and they say, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus says, yeah, I do. Isn't it great? Yeah, I hear them. Have you never heard, have you never read what the Scripture says? Um, that, that the Lord calls forth, what is it? I'm sorry, I have to look back. It's in here somewhere. He says here, uh, from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. This morning we started with a question. What is worship and what kind of worship does God delight in? God delights in worship that involves surrender, full surrender to him. Jesus comes gently, but he also comes with power and authority. He comes calling for repentance, and he comes without apology. You can crown him as king, or you can kill him. But he will not be ignored. This morning, will you bow your knee to King Jesus? Will you surrender everything that you are and all that you have to him uh, as the God of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings? Today, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to do it now. And all you have to do, and, and, and you may not get this 100% right, don't worry about it, nobody does. But what you've got to do is you do have to be sincere, and you have to say, God, I am a sinner. I've sinned against you. I've been living life on my terms. I've been living life on my terms, and I want to surrender to you. I've been living my life on my terms. surrender to you. I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive my sin. And I ask you to make me the kind of person you want me to be. And if that is what's written, if that is what's on your heart, I ask you to pray that Humble yourself before God right now. Uh, before you leave today, I'm going to pray for us here in just a moment. I'm going to ask the worship team. You guys can go ahead and start coming up. Before you leave today, if you did make that decision, uh, you can write a little note. If you've got one of those little um, info cards in the bulletin, you can write a little note on there. Make sure I have your name, your contact information. But just let me know that you committed your life to Christ today if that was something you did. If you recommitted your life to Christ today, then let me know. I want to know about that. I want to be praying for you. I want to be praying for you, and I want to reach out to you, and I want to help you. I want to support you, and I want to encourage you. In our church, we want to do that. We want to love you and support you in your new commitment to Christ. Um, So I'm just going to ask you to do that. If you don't have one of those old comment cards, come to me before you leave. Come to Matt, okay? Uh, Come to Carolyn, all right? Or come to one of our, our elders. But come to one of us and let us know you made that decision today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today we want to worship you and we want to praise you because you are great and awesome.
Uh, we want to worship you and we want to praise you because you are holy. You are the righteous judge of the heavens and the earth. And you've humbled yourself coming to us to make peace with you possible. We want to thank you for that. God, we want to worship you and we want to praise you because you are righteous in all your judgments, but you are also full of grace and mercy. And you're ready to forgive all who humble themselves before you and surrender their lives to you. God, I pray for the person here today who, who maybe they're, just, they're, they're not where, sure where they stand with you. And I pray, God, that today, before the day ends, that they will submit and surrender to you because you are a good God. I pray this in Christ's name. For your glory. Amen.